Hello and welcome to the third Stats Bomb World Cup podcast with me, James York, and... Ted Knudsen. How goes it, Ted? You enjoying this World Cup still? It's pretty good. <laughs> that, that's an understatement. That's a dramatic <laughs> understatement. It's great. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's not a lot gone wrong. Uh, as far well, unless you're a fan of one of the teams that's already gone out, but you know, for, even from a neutral perspective, um, well, it's been a hell of a lot of fun from start to finish. And since the week since we've spoken, so much has gone on. Oh my! Yeah, but last time we talked, Germany were still in the World Cup. <laughs> yeah, and they're obviously going to get through. You know, there's no way that could go wrong. Uh, <laughs> check out the site if you haven't. We've got a few articles. We've got, th- I think, three Germany articles on there at the moment. So. Uh, yeah, we've covered we've covered that amply in parts, but yeah, um, where to start? Um, I guess the the first second round match was the France Argentina, which was an absolute treat. That first day we had like the best games I think overall. Not, not to say that the other ones didn't have great games, but that that first day was just like fireworks everywhere. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, France were irresistible in parts. Argentina creaked a lot. Yet somehow got it to a stage where they could have. <laughs> I was praying for extra time there when it, when it all got a bit silly at the end, but uh, didn't <laughs> didn't didn't quite make it. Um, France yet, didn't have a shot after the 70th minute or so. Yeah, yeah, it was it was they, bizarre. They just blocked up. They were up two goals. They're like, yeah, go ahead, come at us. And <laughs> somehow there was an Aguero goal very late on there. Mm. Some big chances. Yeah, and you know there weren't a lot of uh, there weren't a lot of shots in that game. Which, which kind of like uh, normally is not a good sign, but in this in this case, the goals were so good, particularly Pavard's. I mean, I feel a little bit sorry for Di Maria, who you know, in, in any other game, in any other circumstances, would have got all the plaudits for his goal, which was an absolute corker. And then Pavard came along and outdid it with a a Nacho plus goal, really. Yeah, as and it, it was quite interesting. Like, so tactically, um, you. Know, you knew that the Argentine defense was going to struggle with France's pace. But then Deschamps makes a choice that you know, he's still going to leave Giroud up, who I, I guess is okay you know, from a, a hold-up perspective, and he's a good passer of the ball generally, especially um, with, with runners. The, the issue that you, you found, though, is like, you know, what if you have three guys that can run really fast as opposed to two guys and a guy that runs around with a, a piano on his back? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, France, that was the first time we saw some kind of attacking vim and vigour from France. And now, they, you know, they're rightly, uh, reasonably favoured within their side of the draw. Obviously, Brazil are on that side of the draw too, but... Um, I think Unleash Mbappe! Yeah. That was kind of like, that was that was basically the plan for that, that match, and boy, did that work out really well. <laughs> yeah, that was that was fun. My, uh, my brother, who's, who's a kind of casual football fan, uh, to the extent that he loves the World Cup, but doesn't doesn't follow football day to day, he was like, who's this French kid? And it's like, yeah, <laughs> you know, if you follow football, you know plenty about him, but it, he's really emerged into the, the wider world by with his performance there. So he's still so young. So last year on the site, I, actually I think maybe in May, I mm. wrote a piece talking about Mbappe and how you know we were. This was pre Neymar and everything, and and I said you know I don't think it's necessarily wrong to put like a hundred million price tag <laughs> on Mbappe. And, and what crazy like, talk is this? Hundred seriously, like the <laughs> the stuff that that came out of there, and people are like, oh, how can you bother to do that? And obviously, there's this nonsense that a player is 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 worth whatever people are willing to pay for them, which you know is is absolute bullshit because like players have a fairly 
you know, there's a, an air cloud around it, but they have a, a bubble that says that a player's value is actually what they can produce and what you expect them to produce. And this kid, who at the time was 18, but when you scout him and when you watch him, looks like he could be, you know, I as I said, like I see Thierry Henry in him. Some people see Ronaldo R9, uh, El Phenomeno. And at that age, he's already doing it in big leagues, in the Champions League, and is just has the most blistering pace, which is kind of the the biggest benefit. But also, you know, can finish, can set teammates up, etc. And I just remember the reaction to that that piece from a lot of different perspectives, being like, "Well, you know, this is just stupid. No one's ever worth that." And now you look at it, and you're like, "Yeah, we know PSG paid like a, a ton, partly because they're PSG, and Monaco didn't want to sell, but." Yeah, he he looks like the next superstar on the world stage. Um, yeah. You know, you don't want to say that he's going to take the place of of Messi or Ronaldo because they're so unique and unusual. But this is definitely you know kind of the the Lewandowski and Lewandowski, and he's already there. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's already as good as that. That's the thing, isn't it? I mean, I, I see a lot more Henri than 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 old Ronaldo. Old Ronaldo. I, I see Henri too. I, he's just got that shiftiness where you he dribbles in a in a different way. Like old Ronaldo, I felt was a bit more power. Um, yeah, but, and, he, and he was he was a bit of a magician with with, with the ball at, at his feet, whereas Mbappe's going to kill like Henri is going to kill you kill you for pace at least you know in the first instance. Um, and at first, like you mm. you can't stay in front of him. That's the biggest problem. Like even even killing you for pace, he can just like move the ball and he's just got that first step where poof, uh, and suddenly he's in space and he gets he gets a much better shooting angle. Apparently, there's data that might you know tell you that he's he's better at doing that. I don't know. <laughs> the thing is though, with Mbappe, is it like? Uh, Henri wasn't this at 19, no, nowhere no. near. Uh, you know, no. he was, uh, th- th- he's so ahead of the curve in that regard that um, yes, he's doing what he's doing at 19, and you know now like, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, he's been doing it for PSG, did it for Monaco, but like you know to, to transition into the kind of like the international arena, so to speak, is is impressive as well because you know the amount of pressure that goes on into these young lads. Uh, going into a World Cup and stuff. So to the, the thing you have to to flag up though is like we don't know if he'll ever get any better than this, but oh, it doesn't yeah, actually true. matter if he gets better than this because he's he's one of the probably one of the top five forwards in the world already right now. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. It's, it, and that's the thing is, I suppose everyone's look everyone's looking for that vacancy uh, of that Messi Ronaldo who you know who comes in and takes that slot as the world's best player. Uh, Neymar obviously has designs on that, but yeah. Um, yeah, 19 years old to be doing what he's doing is is strictly phenomenal. But so Argentina got a bit lucky in that game. It finished 4-3, mm. but the you know the, the stats looked like it was fair. France quit when they were two two nil up because you know they didn't want to give the the risk of, of coming back into it. Argentina couldn't overcome it. We're not going to talk about Lionel Messi on on this podcast. Um, I, that that was that was a fair result. And then the next one was Uruguay Portugal, right? Yeah, which was kind of cagey stuff for the most part, and as expected. Yeah, yeah, it's between two of the two cagey sides. But Portugal got Portugal, which was kind of fun. Uruguay had very few shots. Portugal like have pinging them in from range, uh, way outshot Uruguay. But Uruguay, well, and Cavani especially, two two fantastic finishes. Stuck his face in, in on the on the end of a Suarez cross for the first one, and yep. then um, swept home a you know a, a pacey move uh, for the second and uh, hey it's one game this is what counts you know your your top man gets nails gets two goals you're, you're probably going to go through in this tournament well so, um, 
Pepe scored from a, a corner off of that one, right? And that mm. was a pretty big one. Uh, Uruguay only had five shots. Uh, Portugal had 20, but as, as James said, a, a lot from range. And in fact, like the expected goals model, like we have it as, as reasonably in favor of Uruguay there. Um, and one of the things I wanted to, I, I did before we, the podcast was like, look at, you know, did these results feel fair? And we flagged this up like right after the game. Like our model with the, the new data that has positional elements of everybody, including the keeper and whether the defenders are there, actually said that Cavani's second goal, which was the, the shot with feet from range on the break, was like a, a 0.33 chance, which for quite a ways out. It uh, really likes it, doesn't it? Which is which yeah, interesting. <laughs> we didn't know this, right? Like we, we, you know, we know the model, but the model does its own thing. And it doesn't have a huge sample size on that, but the fact that he was basically in the clear, just the goalkeeper, the goalkeeper was was to that particular side or whatever, like it thought that that was a much better chance than you would ever grade that out as. And if you watch the game, like as a coach, you would sort of see and and evaluate the same sort of thing. Like you see him open his hips, he's got that curve, he puts it right into the corner of the the net, pretty cool. Um, so that that one also felt fair, you know, like. Despite the fact that they were 20 shots to five, like basically Portugal didn't really trouble Uruguay. We thought Uruguay were quite good, and uh, and that that ended up there. Now <clears throat> we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit um, after we we're gonna talk about like the the top half and the bottom half of the bracket for the the next set of of games uh, in a minute. But we just want to work through the the rest of quarterfinals first. So the next game, how did you feel about this game? Spain, game, Russia. Uh, Spain, Russia. Um, well, yeah, the <laughs> Spain death by a million passes kind of thing. Um, it's, I've, I've, my general views. I've, seen, I know Spain felt a little bit rudderless and, um, you know, felt it struggled to kind of cut through and make significant chances. Um, they probably created enough to win that game most times they play it, um, and had so much of the ball. And then Russia, Russia just kind of like beds in, and the, you know it's anyone's game. I've, as a Tottenham fan, I've seen that kind of crap happen a million times, where a team just beds in, and you've just got to try and patiently work through it and hope that you come out the right way. And those games tend to finish one nil, one one, or nil nil, nil one, or whatever. So it just kind of felt like that kind of thing. Play it, play it ten times. Spain probably win six or seven of them. That just happened well, to land on one of the other ones. Like dumb penalty. For <laughs> yeah. for Zuba, right? Um, an own goal. <laughs> so like, our, our model's like very confused about own goals. Like, it doesn't know how to how to evaluate that. But <laughs> so so basically, like, Spain do basically nothing in the first half. Yeah, like, well, that was weird. They had they had the ball, but they didn't take a shot to the fortieth minute. It was it was really odd. But, and and were one nil up. It, that was that was odd. And then from then on, they did they took a lot of shots. Um, but again, possibly not the best shots. But they were all they were all crap shots until until extra time. Right. Mm, that's 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 what that's what our stuff says anyway, mm. and and I think that's largely true. Right, you take a lot of shots from range or into into a deep block with very busy players there, and you know lots of Russians in the area, and it's it's hard to score those goals. So like the problem for Spain, you know they, hmm, how to say this, they didn't have a great tournament, but this. The idea that Spain are this, this dynamo that attack consistently and score a lot of goals just hasn't been true in in the the knockout tournaments. What used to happen was Spain would get a goal, they would kill you to death with Tiki Taka, and they might get another goal or they might not. But a lot of one 0 wins in in their sort of like historic run, yeah. uh, especially in the knockout rounds. This one, you know, they had a an own goal, a, a dumb penalty, and then finally they turned it on an extra time, and it looked like the the Russians might. 
might break because they looked exhausted, but they can't get there, and then they lose in penalties. So, I mean, this is this is knockout football. There's a lot of variations in inside of it. Spain didn't look amazing. Look like you know they they could have used a, a top tier coach. I think some of the coaching decisions in that match and the matchup decisions were, were not great. Uh, substitutions, etc. But yeah, and now they're going home, and the Russians march on. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, at least to some regard, like Spain and Germany, you look at all the all the numbers and like they were so so heavily uh, skewed towards uh, their passing up the pitch, and they did dominate territory like no other teams have really those two sides. But I mean, part of it was because they were in unfavorable situations. Both teams were either chasing games or in drawing situations. You know, Spain played four games, drew three. They beat Iran one nil. It's it's hardly like you can look at their results and say, oh, well, that's a tough break." You know, they they, they struggled to beat teams for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so by Spain, by Germany, and that really opens up the whole tournament. Really, I think. Who on to next? The- so the last last match on Sunday, Croatia versus the Danes. Yeah, not <laughs> not the best game, but we had some so, penalties. <laughs> Good. Here's, here's the thing. I I think that this this game actually was sort of better in terms of like chances than than people think, and it stayed poised for a very long time. But it was just the goals came so early, and then then it was very cagey. And, yeah, and the penalty uh, late on as well, which was yeah, first four minutes and last four minutes were, were, were exciting, and it was it was good stuff. What so happened in had, between? Sure, uh, people had battered the the Danes for like not playing attractive football at all in this tournament, which you know fair enough. Um, the only match that finished zero zero that didn't have a goal involved France and Denmark basically deciding to to not try. Um, and and so like you know they're the, they're the standout losers from this World Cup, which is one of the greatest World Cups ever. Um, but beyond that, with regard to this game, they actually were pretty good. And um, you know we'll talk a little bit about the first goal. But outside of that, you know they they created some decent chances. This this match actually had quite a few shots inside of it. Obviously there's extra time involved. But right up until the penalty with Modric, they they were like neck and neck with with Croatia. On um, you know goal scoring chances and shots and everything like that, so yeah, it was it was a pretty fair match. I think people have possibly, I mean, I'd, I think maybe we did as well. When, when I dug into it afterwards a little bit. Croatia have possibly been slightly overrated because they look like they've got you know they've got an exemplary midfield, um, but their results have, have come slightly against against the balance of their chances, and possibly Dem- Denmark Denmark just haven't been exciting at all. So. But that's possibly kind of undermined the the idea that they are actually hard to beat. So uh, it was probably a closer matchup on paper than than people expected. People expected Croatia to turn up and dominate the game and you know win comfortably or you know readily, and you know that didn't didn't quite happen. So yeah, this had my favourite goal of the tournament though. Really. Which yep. was your favourite goal? I can't even remember these goals. Which one? <laughs> a goal off a long throw. Oh yeah, Oops. of course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> by, by a player whose name sounds like he came from Street Fighter Two. Zanka. <laughs> Every time I think of Honda, I think of E Honda. <laughs> on that, on that note, uh, but yeah. Um, so yeah. I, yeah, long throws hugely underexploited. We talk about it plenty. Um, we have an entire program that that helps work around well helps unlock those as well uh world football starting to catch on a little bit to the set pieces although we'll, we'll talk a little more about this in the england games so i know you have opinions about that yeah. uh i but long throws are man th- this is the next thing i think and it's kind of interesting to like we've been talking 
I've been talking about set pieces for quite a long time, whether voluntarily or not uh, seeing our set piece work magically end up in the Guardian because <laughs> someone else decided to talk about it. Um, but yeah, the the World Cup of set pieces it feels very true, and 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 the the, the penalties. But we talked about the la- a little bit in the last podcast. The penalties just feel fair for the most part. It feels like the yeah. refs are doing a great job outside of last night's match. So, yeah, for the most part, I, do, I, I think yeah, penalties have been. <laughs> I do think Kane's quite good at quite good at getting entangled and. Uh, He's a big dude. Miles. There's a lot of them to get entangled. <laughs> right, we're not quite on England yet. So uh, where are we? Up Wait to for now? it. We it, see. There's there's a big element. I know everybody is still excited about the England match last night, and we just want you to have that anticipation. What? Patient. <laughs> Anticipation. Come on, there's a Dr. Frankfurter line in here. Oh, right. you can't tell me that you didn't dress up for Rocky Horror living in uh, in East Wales there. East Wales? <laughs> I live in West England. But um, no, I didn't actually. Although I remember visiting my cousin as a child and there was something to do with... They were all dressing up and I found it confusing being a man of the provinces. But, you know, time moves on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Why are these people dressing up in lingerie and dark hair? And this is, I, yeah. this is a I, new thing. Anyway, um, <laughs> we, we haven't done the Rocky Horror Picture segment of the Stats Bomb podcast yet. No, we'll save yet. that for a future because we've got the World Cup. Hey, we've got the Brazil game. No, I didn't see the Brazil game because I was driving. The, the, the so I have Monday thoughts on this one. Like, uh, I listened to it, and it sounded like it sounded like Brazil were really good. And This uh, was possibly the most dominant performance that we've right. seen in the World Cup by one of the big clubs. Like, they just – they cut Mexico to ribbons. And, and Mexico kind of invited this a bit. They were trying – they wanted to, to score goals on the counter. They, they were really aggressive in defending set pieces – but Brazil just basically figured them out, and this was a this was a stomping that didn't actually pay off until sort of late in the second half. Mm. But it always felt like it was gonna happen. Right. Yeah. Like two, Mexico two, were only in this in this match for about 15 minutes. It felt like, and then the rest of it was all all Brazil. That's good to see. You kind of want to see Brazil putting up some good good performances because they stuttered a little bit in the group, I think. But yeah, you, the- you don't want to see that at all, James. Yeah, you do. Everyone if, wants to see it. If it's going to come home, you want Brazil to be bad. <laughs> <laughs> they got to get past Belgium, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, and that's, that's the, that was the next game on Monday. Uh, Belgium game, which was just wild and hilarious because <laughs> the, the entire world were just up in arms at Fellaini oh, and Chadley. Oh, the narrative! What the, the narrative! What the hell are they getting brought on for when they had <laughs> clearly better players on the bench? And then they both scored, which is perfect. Absolutely beautiful moment there. Uh, Mike Goodman's Twitter feed was uh, was a thing of beauty for that match. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tweeted what's it? I tweeted something sarcastic saying great decisions or whatever to bring those guys on, and uh, <laughs> some, <laughs> someone replied with a with a bunch of uh, like cut and paste tweets of like people saying the opposite. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I said that as well. <laughs> About five hundred people decried. Yeah, everyone did. Basically, everyone who's watched <laughs> Roberto Martinez, uh, and then everyone who's like seen Fellaini <laughs> over the years, is just like, well, yeah. I mean, chuck him on. Something's got to happen. Yeah, he's but got I a think... new contract, so you know. Well, yeah. Uh, no, jo- not, Jose not... still likes him. <sighs> okay, we are not on that right now. That's a longer <laughs> discussion. Um, but like one of the, the really interesting things about that game, and it felt like it took a weirdly long time to figure out, is exactly the same thing that I flagged up uh, noticing uh, in the France match, which is that outside of like a centre-back, and in this case it was Fazio, France 
was just so much bigger when they were lined up uh, next to Argentina. They were just, like, huge. Mm. And it's, it's almost as if the Belgians didn't realize that Japanese people, men especially, are not super tall. Yeah, in, in this, I mean, this is why Fellaini is is actually <laughs> the answer when it comes. Yeah, to... if you look at the goals and where they came from, and suddenly you put Fellaini on, and uh, and Lukaku's there, and you've got Vertonghen, and you've got the center backs, and Chadley's sort of bigger and strong as well, and suddenly you're just like, wow, we've got like six inches on most of these dudes. And the, yeah, the, okay. the, the winning goal was awesome as well, wasn't it? Classic end to end breakaway goal with pretty much everything terms... you want. Yeah, in terms of like the moment and the goal and and the quality of it, like it felt like one of the the best uh, goals of the tournament. Um, and it, it was great to see uh, again, like the the narrative killers in this in this whole uh, uh, World Cup have been great. But like this one where Lukaku essentially creates the goal through his movement as much as the pass and and the yeah, and yeah. the shot itself. And everybody's like, well, that's really smart. And you know, they. The, the racism element about black players in England has been sort of subtly uh, in some cases, but really building a lot over the course of the last couple of years. Sterling gets gets battered and abused for stupid stuff. Lukaku is pacing power and never gets credit for his movement and and, you know, his hard work and everything else that he does. And this is another element that we'll we'll get to the Sterling bit in a bit where. You know, the people that are smart are pushing back against this and they need to because, like, you cannot allow the racist side of the press. And there is one. There absolutely is one in England. You cannot allow them to dominate the conversations about this. And he got great credit for it. And it's good to see. But, like, people have to keep continuing to do that because if you only hear one side of it, you hear a lot of people who are like, oh, I don't like this guy because of these reasons that are stated and completely wrong if you're smart. But they just keep hearing the same thing over and over and they start to believe it. Yeah, sadly, that kind of stuff is is rooted deep in society. It's going to take time and a lot of effort to kind of transition away from it. But hopefully, we're moving towards that, and uh, a lot of right-minded people can actually, you know, enact change there. Um, so that was a great, crazy match, and Belgium march on. Well, that's good though, because you know, no, no disrespect to Japan, I don't really want to see Brazil pummel Japan into submission. I I want to see Brazil Belgium. It's it's a heavyweight quarter right there. That one is is awesome. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of talk around saying that you know we've lost some big teams and that's a shame. Eh, maybe. But Brazil Belgium, that's got all the the hallmarks for a you know heavyweight matchup as a quarterfinal. Uruguay France is pretty good in that regard as well. I think Uruguay are good enough to. They like Portugal. They're, Shh, they're, don't they're, don't. We, we got to get through the quarters or the the, the <laughs> round of 16 first. We'll we'll talk about those in a minute. So the Swedes, the Swedes and the Swiss, the Swiss and the Swedes. That was a rubbish game. <laughs> that was rubbish. I, I actually started reading a book during that one. I'm sitting in the pub, and I was kind of watching it with one eye, and there are a lot of Swedes around me, so like that was <clears throat> that was kind of fun. Like the the pub culture and being able to watch with a with a bunch of fans of like particular teams, it really does infect you a bit. It's it makes the matches more enjoyable. Um, the I, I was. I have done this a lot over the years where basically I watch a game and then I flag up some tactical stuff. And I used to do it on the gambling side as well. And I was like, occasionally, if you do enough of this, you know, they'll, they'll pay off. Uh, I was talking about how the blocks kept dropping so deep that it was creating space at the 18. And, but then there were so many, so many bodies in the way that uh, the players were passing up shots that are probably pretty good shots, but they were just worried about the traffic. And then like, Three or four minutes later, all of a sudden, the Forsberg ball comes central, and he beats a guy, and he's just in space. 
But then there's like one guy there, and it's a Kanji who's played great throughout the World Cup. He looks like a, a pretty stellar signing overall for for Dortmund, and uh, and it goes off of him deflects when it was directly at the keeper, and then that's the goal, and that was the the story of the match really. Yeah, not really much more to say about that one. Um, but the Swedes are very likable. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like, they've, there's a absolute list of teams that they've left in their wake. You know, from qualifying onwards. Um, hard to underrate them and they are clearly very difficult to beat so i, I think we'll they had the most soon. i think they had one of the craziest losses in the in the cup too because of that tony cruz shot and, yeah, yeah. and you're like that's clearly a draw and and they're probably sending germany out and then suddenly they weren't sending germany out but they're still here and or sorry swedens are still here and and the germans are gone so yeah to actually that's a fair point actually to actually respond to that defeat and still kind of keep their heads defeat mexico and um, you know, go on from there without, you know, being affected, without seemingly being affected by, you know, such a heartbreaking loss. Uh, you know, credit to them for that, I think. Well, credit to them for their their fuck racism video that came out um, yesterday or two days ago as well. Uh, the guy that one of the guys that had um, he made a defensive error or something like that, and um, he's a Muslim and there was a lot of abuse toward him and they came as a as a full team and they they paused in front of the media and and had a, a statement from him and the whole team was behind him and saying like this is unacceptable we're swedes and all of us are swedes and i don't know like people have to talk back about this like it's it's good to see that getting this type of showcase because the the way that the world has gone recently is is far too ex- accepting of this type of message and oh, yeah no you're right it's 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 frustrating i think i've i've spent a lot of time uh, until the last few years thinking that like we're moving towards a more liberal like hope uh, contented world at least in, in western society and it's so demoralizing to see the opposite kind of taking place so and yeah. if people listening to this podcast are offended by this like you're welcome to not listen because you watch <laughs> me on twitter like i just i don't tolerate it we can't you cannot be a bystander anymore because the noise is overwhelming and the dissent Dissension is overwhelming, and so we're going to keep talking about this. Statsbomb podcast are lovers, not haters. There you go. <laughs> Speaking of love, <laughs> the three lions won a penalty shootout. I know, amazing, absolutely hilarious. <laughs> Listen to James; he's, he's like purring. You, he, he's grumbly about the narrative, but he's he's purring about this. He's, he's, uh, it, you didn't even like get drunk in a pub last night, right? Like you <laughs> had to work today. Yeah, no, I, I did have a couple of beers last night. I, was, I watched it at my brother's place with a couple of mates and stuff. Uh, but it was, um, it, yeah, it was it was just the most typically stressful game. Although, oh my god, <laughs> so much stress! And as soon as they consider, yeah, as soon as that went in, it was like, right, that's it, we're fucked. There's no, there's no way in the world like we're going to do anything in extra time, and we're not going to win penalty shootout, so that's over. <laughs> and then we, then we did. It was great, and they looked apart from Henderson, who looked a little bit wobbly and missed his penalty, which was mildly unlucky because he did, he did, it was slightly telegraphed, but he did put it like pretty close to the corner, so tough break. But the penalties, oh my god, they were they were good, good lads. They, they you know, confident walk, striding up the pitch, <laughs> hitting the corners, hitting the top of the net, um, and yeah, I, I I I don't know what to think. Like England still. I'm not sure that for that great a team, but well, they, they I, seem I to have got some breaks. <laughs> so there's a lot to talk about in this match, and I think that it's fair that we spend a bit of time breaking it down. Like one, I think the game plan for Colombia was just plain wrong. Like England, England were there for the taking for a lot of that match once Colombia started to attack, and they looked 
almost dominant from the point that they started to go after them. Uh, but the way that Colombia set up for like the entirety uh, before the the goal that England got, we're basically we're going to defensive block. We'll try and run, although really they they weren't getting much of a chance to run. They were pressing certain elements of the the midfield or the defensive line so that England couldn't open up play easily, and they were really just gumming it up. But I think that Colombia actually were talented enough, and England you know may be a little ropey defensively. They haven't been challenged that much. Um, so that you know, they could have gone after them and possibly gotten results that way too. They didn't until finally they were forced to. And England really suffered for like a 15, 20-minute period. They eventually recovered, but that was a... Uh, I think the setup for Colombia was just wrong. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I don't think I can objectively review Colombia's setup. <laughs> I, can, I, can, I, can, I, can, I can think about England. England... In- I mean, that's England's team now. Like, you know, the, the whole idea that we haven't got a passer in midfield is almost redundant now because there weren't really passes sufficient to pick. You know, I'm not having Jack Wilshire in this side. I'm sorry. That was, that's, an, <laughs> you know, his his form just isn't of sufficient standard to, to be in this team. So you go another way, which is what we've got with Lingard and Ali kind of like up to the side of Henderson. Um, so, yeah, you haven't got a great deal of innovation or, or calmness on the ball in there. But, you know, we have got a lot of energy. and You make it tough to play. Um, you move the ball forward fairly well. I think the big problem is that open play goals are just not coming. There's just and... not much in open play, is there? I mean, there's been a little bit of a review, like, this morning. Sterling, you know, didn't get a lot of the ball. But I think, was it Ed Malian, the independent uh, editor, he, he uh, tweeted that uh, from where he was sitting there... <laughs> Sterling was making a lot of good runs. He just he just wasn't getting found, and that's that's been a problem throughout the tournament. England have just not hit their forwards, and you or know, the or the connection play in the final third has mm. been troublesome too. Like the yeah. you know, Sterling and and Harry Kane don't play on the same team, and in fact, like Delhi and Harry Kane are the, the only ones that play on that that team together, right? Uh, Lingard is for most of the first half, it looked like England were only attacking up the left-hand side. And that's largely based on Sterling. Sterling was almost the only person that was moving the ball forward. I thought Lingard was really ropey last night, especially as he started to get tired. I thought the, the um, Southgate's subs should have been different. Um, you know, I don't know if Sterling was knackered, but like Lingard could not actually have a first touch that was competent anymore. He was so tired. And that was like minute 70. Um, beyond that, like, you want to talk a little bit about the set pieces? Because I know that you said some stuff as well, and and I saw the same thing. So, well, yeah, I mean, like, it, it wasn't something like it was. I was sat with a friend, and he he, he consistently noticed. It was like, all right, we're just going to fire it to the back post to Harry Maguire again. All yeah. right, we're just going to fire it to the back post from Harry Maguire again. And that's the thing. That's that's fine in moderation, but when that's all you're doing from set pieces. Which it felt like at times last night that we'd kind of like run out of like innovation or ideas, and it was just, yep, we're going to fire it to Harry Maguire at the back post. So I think, yeah, you know, I was starkly reminded of that by uh, my my accomplice, and uh, it, it was it became ever more apparent as soon as it was noticed, and that's very different. That feels different from earlier in the competition where it felt like there was variation, or you know, we'll find stones, or we'll try and try a little tricky one, the, you know, the stones. But both stones goals actually were. Um, you know, be- benefiting from slight innovation. So, what? Well, yeah. What do you think? You're you're, you're the set piece expert here. So, what well, your, what's your take on this? Alleged set piece expert. Um, 
<laughs> so the first thing I noticed was like the the early deliveries were overhit, and I think in fact I think most of Young's deliveries were overhit last night. I don't know if it's the moment or or whatever, but he just even when England was kind of aiming for the near post, like there was a, a Harry Kane run or two where he was on the near post that it just like it's probably about a foot over his head. Um, you know, if that's a bit lower, he he got into space, so like that's a possible thing. So it wasn't just Maguire, but from wide free kicks, especially free kick lateral, as uh, as Johnny would call them. Um, basically, like Harry Maguire was was always the target, and he is quite dominant in the air. But I think what you saw uh, last night versus the past is that you know, Colombia are also pretty good defenders of that, and had some big big yeah. center backs that were that were quite tough. Uh, we'll get to Colombia in, in just a bit. Um, I want to keep talking about England first. Um, I think that I'm seeing a bit of what you're seeing too. Like it's too predictable. Um, I thought the the Trippier goal was like a perfect moment to do what we call a Zanetti variation that you've probably seen a few times where instead of going for the direct free kick, you've got like one or two guys out wide and you have an inside pass that usually results into into a chance. So if everybody's locked into the free kick in the wall, which it seemed like there was a lot of wrestling in that way, you can kind of get um, an inside pass and a pick and then end up like directly in front of the keeper on a 1v1. So I thought they might pull that off. They They didn't. Um, I think that they need to they need to vary their delivery zones a little more and they need to vary their overloads a little more. Um, it, you can do that. And the process isn't that hard. I think it, it depends on how much they worked up, um, how many different variations they worked up before the tournament and, and whether these guys can refresh quickly or not. But you should be able to, in the course of four or five days of, of like just doing stuff, pick up two more variations. And in 120 minutes, like two more variations is, is pretty significant to, to have to try and defend. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, if you if you ignore the ignore the outcome and just unpick that performance objectively, if you're not English and you just want to look at that, you're not going to come out of it and say like, right, yeah, there's a hell of a lot to like about this England team. You're going to look at it and think like, yeah, they are fairly functional and they do some things well, but they are clear limitations. So yeah, I think that's that's very fair. Uh, they're a good team. They're not a great team, and they're. You know, of of the ones remaining, if you take the draw out, they're definitely not one of the two favorites. No. But because of that little draw thing, and God, yeah. this is still getting discussed, but like we're gonna we're gonna come back to this one because it's narrative time now. So the absolute bullshit narrative that you heard out of the media was that oh, there's momentum, and oh, they shouldn't get to do this, and oh, they shouldn't get to do that. And James was a little bit on the fence, but you know, he, as James often is. Like for <laughs> me, the way it boiled down to was you get to choose which set of opponents you want to face for the rest of the tournament outside of the final. And if you get that active choice, you make that choice. It's as simple as that. And that's what England did by losing to Belgium. They got to choose which bracket they wanted to be in, which package of opponents they potentially wanted to face. And now when you look at the bracket, what does it look like? It looks like England uh, won a penalty shootout and uh, all the narratives switched because of that. <laughs> Colombia were tough and you knew Colombia were pretty tough. Yeah, and they could have lost and then they looked stupid. They? That's the trouble. They wouldn't days. look stupid, though. They, they would have had to face another tough team. Like Belgium, Belgium were put right to the test against against Japan, you know. Yeah. And now, who do Belgium get to face? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> to, to wheel out a cliché. There's no easy games in this World Cup, but but you don't want to face Brazil. That's that's fair enough. You want to you want to avoid Brazil for as long as possible. So I can, you, I can you're going to get that. Brazil and France back to back, probably, or like yeah. a very scrappy Uruguay team, and and they're probably not going to let you score on set pieces either. So, yeah. or 
you can face Sweden and either Russia or Croatia. That's a pretty good set of choices right there. The outcome has made it look like the, the right thing. I think the right thing to do for that final England game was rotate because yep. that, that's undeniable because fundamentally if England are going to win a World Cup or any of these teams are going to win a World Cup they've got to win four games in about two weeks or slightly less some of them 13 days and any of those games could go 120 minutes any of those games could go to penalties any of those games are going to give you a heart attack you know that you've got to <laughs> overcome all of that Oh, the stress the stress from last night must be ridiculous. Oh yeah, exactly. I mean, even the even the positive. I mean, I'm I'm really pleased that the England side has actually gone through. I think uh, Southgate alluded to this. Has gone through that process of actually like having like this horrible, stressful moment of a penalty shootout, but actually come out on the right side of it, and yeah. you know, giving them that that you know positive reflection that they can draw upon if they're ever in similar situations. Dyer said as much. He said, "I've never been in that kind of situation before." And it's like, yeah, now you have, and. You know that's that's you you can't you can't train for those those moments. Uh, you can't train the the experience of those moments until you, you know until you actually live them. Uh, they don't exist, and um, so I'm I'm pleased they've they've kind of like actually got that in in their you know well of experience to draw upon uh, in the, in the future the rest of their careers. You know any time in their careers. I can't remember where I started with that, but yeah, it's um, no, it's it's good though. Like it's it's kind of a it is a unique situation. They got through it. They prepared for it ahead of time. You know, there's a lot of mentality and penalties. There's a lot. There's there's like the great. It, it's actually a, a cool study. I don't know how valid it is, but I, I kind of, you know, I'm willing to believe it. Um, if you you shouldn't look at the keeper. Essentially, like you should go through your own process, look at the ball, focus on the ball, um, you know, and and know what you're going to do. And the keeper is, is basically irrelevant because there are a, a few places that you can put the, the ball on the frame that is unsavable. And your whole process through this involves you and striking the ball and almost nothing to do with the keeper until maybe you make a last minute read. And, you know, if, if you've got that in your head, like it should make it easier for you. Uh, there was talk. Of, there was actually process talk, which I thought was kind of cool and unusual about Pickford reclaiming the ball. Um, after after he faced a penalty, and then going it and delivering it to his teammate, so his teammate could go through his own process every time. Like that's actually valuable, right? That's a little bit of insight that you wouldn't get otherwise. We talk about the research behind it, which way do guys go with penalties, etc. But like that sort of process to help your own team by the goalkeeper, also pretty cool. Yeah, he did that. It, <laughs> I tweet this as well. He did that. He did that for Dyer, and then. It was just after his save. He remembered the keeper, the referee had the ball. He remembered to take it to die. So he went up to ref, ref chucks it. He walked up to die, gave die the ball, and then kind of wandered off into the. Towards, he went towards the middle of the pitch, and it was almost like he was just so hyped for his save that he like didn't. He hadn't come down yet. He yeah. was just kind of like floating around, and then Dyer was waiting to take penalty, and he remembered, and he kind of jogged back to the t- the, the touch line, uh, you know, next adjacent to the goal line, and you could just see him like crouched down there, like kind of like pumping his fists to himself, and then obviously Dyer scored, and they went ballistic. But yeah, it was, it was funny, funny little stuff that comes out around. Yeah, the whole psychology of penalty shootouts is is very interesting. But uh, so we've got quarterfinals now. We've got Uruguay versus France. Brazil versus Belgium, Russia versus Croatia, and Sweden versus England. Um, the gambling line for Uruguay versus France. It's basically France minus a half even. So like 49% odds, 48% odds that they're going to they're gonna win in uh, regular time and, and go through. Um, and France are like two to one, uh, or sorry, like, yeah, about that so, uh, to, uh, to advance. How do you feel about that line? 
Um, we, we don't talk gambling much, but it's World Cup time. They got to gamble. Yeah, I, I, it feels obviously France are worthy favourites, but it feels slightly slightly kinked towards them. Then I would probably uh, go. I'd probably prefer Uruguay on that line because they're you know they, they're considerable outsiders in this in this pairing. And the does Cavani potentially being out like really adjust that for you? Uh, yeah, I hadn't thought that. Yeah, that may be. That's not a good thing. See, even so, like I really like the the plus a half. Uh, the, the question of Cavani uh, is a big one, and and whoever finds out if he's starting or not, you know, that adjusts it. But at plus a half straight up, given the Uruguay defense, like I think that yeah. I'm I'm pretty excited about that. Uruguay better than Argentina I <laughs> in this, in, or at least from what we've seen. A lot uh, in this. Yeah, they're more organized. They've they've got a better defensive structure. That was a line that was really stupid in the in the round of 16. Like it was France like minus a quarter uh, over uh, over Argentina, and you're like, yeah, I don't believe that at all. Like that 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 needs to be like a half plus, like you know, maybe, maybe a lot of bias. We're talking gambling jargon. I apologize. I, I worked in gambling for a decade. James actually also used to work in gambling. So, um, okay, so the next matchup. Now Brazil are a weak favorite here. Um, so you're looking at maybe 40ish. 42% somewhere around there. Um, so Brazil minus a half uh, at 2.15 is, is what the the metric odds are. Um, how do we deal with that one Over, uh, versus Belgium? I want Brazil here. I think that Ooh. I think that, that I think that looks slightly to to my eyes that looks slightly kinked in favour of Brazil. I know Belgium are decent, but but if they're a Martinez side, they've still got holes in them. I know. I there know, you go. I know that. I know they're <laughs> you know Martinez side against Brazil. Uh, I don't know. I I think, yeah, to use the old parlance, I'd expect Brazil to be odds on, but they don't seem to be. So, yeah, that uh, that one's an interesting one. Like that's that's rating Belgium really quite strongly, and possibly underrating the Brazilian beatdown of Mexico. Also, the total on that one is is a half goal higher than the Uruguay France matchup, which is <laughs> if the total's a half goal higher, right? But we know that Brazil don't give up goals. <laughs> Hmm. It's expected to become one way. Like, if, if you get Brazil uh, at like uh, minus point two five uh, at any sort of reasonable um, reasonable price, like you're very excited by that. Um, so that, that's my perspective. The half, you know, the half is a little scary because there could end up being a a draw on this one. But like I I believe the Brazilian defense is is really good, and I whether they can score or not um, against some of the tougher clubs I, I think it's an open question but against Belgium who aren't that hard to score on mm, yeah I'm with it it's yeah I'm happy, happy to be on Brazil's side there which one's next Croatia Russia or? versus Croatia Croatia are uh, minus a quarter at about 1.90 so uh, 2.25 on the on the not, half not a world away from Brazil's price I, it's I, true I, I yeah, I can just see this one being like pretty, pretty cagey. Croatia are rightful favourites. I don't think they they should. They're possibly not quite so heavy favourites as they are. If it was, you know, if I was forced to forced to pick there. Yeah. So to advance, I think Croatia are, are exactly the same as Brazil. I'm curious about fatigue on this one. The Croatian midfield is not that young. No, true. And the Russians were shattered like shattered at the end of that match like they some of them could barely move and they have a very old uh defense 
So I'm curious how fatigue plays into that. I think that this one could be a creation romp, um, but they they have to they have to recover that midfield. And if the midfield is the most important bit, and they're all 30 plus, I don't know. I, I don't want to go into your your favorite area of expertise, but. Uh, I think there might be some blood spinning going on after this one. <laughs> a bit of home advantage for Russia as well. I don't know how how that could have been factored in a little bit more for my mind, but yeah, I think that's that's probably fair there, and and that actually might be why the the line exists there. So you, there's a lot of stuff going on there. I don't think that one has a clear a clear sort of sense. Um, England versus Sweden. Wow, <laughs> the market I looked at has England as heavy favourites. Well, the short the market I looked at has them the shortest favourites of all of these four games, and I'm not I'm not having that. <laughs> so they they are the shortest favourites of the games. Um, they're minus a half uh, at one point nine two. So like they're still what fifty two fifty three percent somewhere in there. So like it's not it's not a huge favourite as you would say. They're just like bigger favourites than you know France, Uruguay, or or Brazil, Belgium. Uh, I think part of that's down to what is the perceived weakness of the Swedes. Um, is Forsberg out? Or who's who's out for the who got yellows that that's going to miss it? That's a good point. I don't know. Might might be key. I think that one that one might impact the the Swedish lineup because the the Swedes don't have a ton of depth, especially on the attacking side. Um, the, but they're the hard is, to beat. They're they hard are. to beat, and you're looking at and like, England aren't scoring much. Yeah, you're looking at like way bigger price. You know, it's it, I'm I you know if I've got I've got five pounds to save my life with, and I've got to put it put it on one side. Uh, <laughs> maybe I'd put it on the Swedish side of uh, of, of, of that. Um, not James thinks it's going to extra time again for yeah, data collectors. Probably. <laughs> but yeah, that, that 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 one just feels like it feels like England have um being slightly priced on reputation there not that they're bad but you know i nah, i uh england should be favorites against sweden they should possibly not be so strongly favored i think the yeah that's that's not unfair so i think that like looking at kind of all of these teams um it's interesting to see kind of team strengths and weaknesses and and how they've they've gotten here because i think that yeah, the English have done this on the back of not having a great midfield, but having a pretty good defense and some pretty good forwards. Um, Sweden are, are here uh, on the back of a lot of graft and some counterattacking, but not great finishing, uh, especially like that last match. But they looked all right. Uh, Croatia, obviously great midfield. Russia, nobody knows. <laughs> I mean, Russia, yeah. Russia, Russia are here because they're here. <laughs> and they get home advantage and they're they, happy. Yeah, exactly. Brazil are here on, on the back of a, a lot of depth um, and some some elite attacking play, uh, but really like they're they're kind of stacked across the whole team. Belgium the same way. Um, the question is like whether Belgium can defend well enough to to make up, and that has to be systemic because these guys they have good defenders, right? And they have some pretty good midfielders. Um, and then you know France France has this just spectacular depth everywhere, and the guys they didn't bring are are amazing as well. But then Uruguay aren't super deep, but are very difficult to beat. So like sometimes you look at it and you're like, well, do you want a team with at least a little bit of firepower that has a good coach that's going to make them tough to beat? Or do you want a team that seems to have like not a great coach, but a lot of firepower? At this point, it starts not to matter. And it might even be the coaching elements that matter more. Yeah, I mean, that's that's it. I mean, what is it? All those. Yeah, Brazil, I think the Brazil round of 16 match that was the only one to finish more than a goal yeah one two three 
four four matches finished, you know, within a goal, and then three draws that went to penalties. So, you know, you, you just there aren't many games like that are going to finish like with a comfortable winner. I don't think <laughs> we've not seen many at all, and I, I imagine that's going to probably continue just because it's it's just confounding factors. I don't know. It's this much tighter than the Champions League. Uh, knockout stages. The Champions League knockout stages this year especially seem to have like tons of goal scoring uh, and, and some teams that just ran away. Doesn't seem like that is going to happen in the World Cup and boy does that make for some tense matches. Even if you're not a fan, you're just like, oh, there's so much tension here. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's been all good. I mean, we can have a quick look at the outrights. You know, Brazil are, Brazil are favourites. France are, say, a point back. England is rather close to them. Then Belgium and Croatia. I mean, that's, that's all. The story there is one of Brazil, France, Belgium come out of that side. And one of England, Croatia, et al. comes out of the other side. So well, let, Let's say you have to pick France, Brazil, or Belgium against England. Like, <laughs> which one do you want? Yeah, well, very much the, the former. <laughs> mm. I, I think I think definitely France and Brazil are are much stronger than the English team uh, have have proven to be so far. And not that we're trying to rain on the parade here. We're just looking into the future and and why it's better to be in the week half the draw. Um, if destiny calls, then you know there's nothing we can do about it. And I'm not going to say it. <laughs> yep, there we go. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for listening to yet another World Cup podcast. I think we'll be back after the quarterfinals. Probably looks like next Monday. Uh, there's some great games going on. Uh, everybody have a great weekend. And uh, and try not to be too terribly bored over the next couple of days because there's no football on. Yeah, go read Starsborn. We've got loads of stuff on there. Ooh, that's a good plan. I like that idea. <laughs> All right, cool. Cheers. Thanks a lot, guys.